episode three of the Uptempo podcast. We sat down with Ty Evans, one of my basketball mentors, who's the associate head coach for the Auburn women's basketball team. He spent some time playing for the University of Richmond and Wisconsin Whitewater. After his playing career ended, he coached professionally overseas before returning to the States to coach at St. Louis, Georgetown, Alabama, and now Auburn. He's one of my favorites to talk ball with, always have a good conversation, always learn a lot. So here he is. Coach, what's up? What up, bro? What's going on? Man, I can't call it, man. I can't call it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Let's go, bro. Let's go. Let's go. So let's talk structure versus principles and um, motion versus sets first. So we both believe the uh, the players are the ones who should have more control when it comes to on-court decisions, you know, since they are the ones seeing the floor and actually playing the game. Where do you think the line should be between a coach giving control to the players to play off reads instead of continuing to run the set as it was drawn up? Uh, I don't think there's a certain point that you should give control over to the players. I mean, I don't know what that particular point is. I think what you have to do is you have to um, assess and evaluate your players on your team. And what I mean by assess and evaluate, you got to determine what their IQ level is, you know, what their feel for the game is, how much they already know. And I think once you determine that, that kind of determines, you know, how much control you give them in terms of being able to to play on their own without looking over at the bench or without asking you a bunch of questions in practice. Um, I think it varies from team to team, but you got to do a pretty good job, <clears throat> excuse me, of assessing your team prior to that. And I think that kind of varies from team to team, you know, when you do that. But I think it's important for you to do that, you know, at some point, but I think it varies at what point in time you do that, you know, for your particular team. Right. And that, that kind of comes into play what we've always talked about, you know, you got to get in the gym, you got to play pickup, you got to learn the principles, you got to, you know, because at the end of the day, shot clock goes down, you know, you're getting a ball screen and you got to know how to come off that thing and you know, got to know how to pass out of it and, you know, see the floor. You know how I get, man, when you, when you say ball screen, that's like a trigger point. You know, I, I hate that because that's exactly what everybody do. 10 seconds, it's called for a ball screen and then every, the three other players stand around you got a person setting the ball screen and you get your so-called best player trying to create and no one else kind of knows what to do. Mm -hmm. I think that's awful. And I think that's what's wrong with basketball because, you know, at the end of the game, you know, you got to know how to play. And that's how you can tell, you know, whether or not players know how to play and coaches know how to coach because that's where the concepts come in at. And like you said, you know, when you first started talking, you know, you just got to have a feel for the game and you can't have a feel for the game if you don't play pickup, that's where that comes from. The feel for the game comes from playing pickup because those are reps that, you know, there's no other way for you to get those reps, bro. You got to play pickup. You have to play five on five. There's no substitute for five on five. You can't develop a feel for the game with a trainer, 18 cones, and some, you know, dummy that can't block your shot. It can't happen, you know. So I, that's where I think, you know, the whole – idea of you know concept over structure comes into play at it's usually when you got to make a play when the other team knows exactly what you want to do but you still have to make a play that's where that concept come in at man but you can't develop that if you don't play five on five right and then when the shot clock's winding down 
everybody goes to the ball screen with less than 10 seconds left. Are, are there other options you think? Absolutely. Everybody goes to the ball screen because you don't have to think about coming up with any other option. My thing is, and this is a concept that I've been uh, developing uh, myself and I've been talking to other coaches that I respect, you know, about. It's amazing to me how everyone has quick hitters, right? Quick mm -hmm. hitters. You come down and you run a quick hitter, you know, within the first 10 or 15 seconds of a shot clock and you don't score off of it. What do you do? You know what they do? They stand around because the quick hitter didn't work. And then what happens? You go into that same ball screen 10 seconds earlier. So what happens at the end of the uh, shot clock when there's 10 seconds left, when you don't know what to do, when the play didn't work, you go into that default ball screen and everybody else just kind of stands around. My, my thing is, why wouldn't you run your quick hitters the last 10 seconds of a shot clock? Because to me, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, you're running your, you know, let's say you got a secondary or primary. All right, that don't work. You don't score right away. Then you, let's say you got a secondary, you flow into that. Let's say you got a continuity, you flow into that, that don't work. Now, when you run your quick hitters, your five players know exactly what to do. And to me, that's a lot harder to guard, you know, if you could mix that up and intertwine that with concepts at the last 10 seconds as opposed to the first 10 seconds. To me, that's harder to guard. And I think that'll give play, I mean, not players, but teams, a better chance to score the last 10 seconds of a shot clock. You know, and I say that because I was, I was listening to a podcast probably about two months ago. Um, I can't remember, remember exactly who it was, but it was interesting because they were talking about offense and they were saying how, um, you know, they were talking about points per possession, you know, and you're more of an analytics guy than I am. I think it's very important. I think you should pay attention to it. But, you know, my feel will always override analytics, but I do respect it. And I think there's a place in the game for it. But they were saying you know, the majority of points per possession happens in like the first 10 seconds, which makes sense because you're attacking before the defense gets set, mm. you know, and they said usually the last 10 seconds, well, in the NBA, the last eight seconds is like the lowest points per possession. Well, what happens? Usually it's a ball screen. Everybody's kind of standing around and you're, you're expecting your best players to kind of make a play. There's really no organization. So to me, to eliminate that, you know, if you start looking at quick hitters the last eight to 10 seconds of a shot clock, to me, you have a better chance of, you know, scoring more points per possession, you know, in a possession if you look at it that way. So that's kind of my philosophy, man. I've been kind of going towards that because I hate that. You, you see it all the time. You you know, you you know, it's, you, you run your play. It doesn't work. You know, the, the best ball handler dribbles the ball three times and then she waves, you know, a ball screen everybody stands around and then he or she tries to make a play it's like the most boring horrible way you can play basketball ever to me I can't stand it because you know it doesn't promote ball movement or player movement which to me is tough on a defense so boring it's 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 hard to watch for sure um oh my god oh my god I'd rather watch paint dry <laughs> no doubt <laughs> it's funny you bring up points per uh possession because I read a stat on um, a D2 school in Florida. I can't remember which one specifically, so I don't want to say. But um, the head coach there went from a set-oriented offense to a motion-oriented offense. And between the seasons, you saw an increase of, like, 1.2 points per possession to, like, I think I want to say, like, 1.9, maybe even 2.1 or something like that. It was something crazy. And they ended up winning more games 
but the only reason they did – like, the only rules he gave them were, hey, if somebody dribbles at you, you got to go, go go the same way you're dribbling. Like, if I'm coming at you with the ball right side, you got to go right. And um, it was just a five-out set. Say the ball is in the right slot, you dribble right, corner's got to go backdoor cut, and then you, you fill in behind. They just played like that, and their points per possession ended up being, like, a whole point higher. It, it makes a lot of sense, though, if you think about it. What Ideally – you know, it's not normal for teams to score three points, you know, per possession, but that's ideally what you're trying to shoot shoot for. You want to get three points per possession. Well, how do you do that? Obviously, three-point shot, which is why it's so important right now. What's another way to do it? If you get layups, you get fouled, that's two points. Layup is a high percentage shot, probably the highest percentage shot in basketball, obviously. And then you're shooting a 15-footer with nobody on you, which is a free throw. So what does that do? Gives you an opportunity to do what? score three points so your whole offense should be based around trying to score three points every single possession driving kicks for wide open catch and shoot threes not threes coming off screens because that's tough because now you're talking about footwork you're talking about hand placement you're talking about passes but the easiest three-point shot to to make catch i mean the the easiest three-point shot to make is a catch and shoot three because all you got to do is get your feet set catch it in rhythm knock it down easiest shot in basketball What's the easiest shot in basketball, though? A layup. So everything should be based around a layup, getting to the free throw line, and then knocking down a wide point, a wide open three-point shot. So it makes sense, you know. So everything you do should be based off of that, you know. And how do you do that? By running a read-and-react style offense where it puts pressure on the defense because they don't know when, when you're going to shoot, when you're going to score, because everybody's a threat. And that's how you should play the game. But if you play five on five, then you will understand that. If they're overplaying you on the on the wing, cut back door. They cut back door. If you're on the weak side and your defender helps, you know to do what? To replace. But you can't learn that if you don't play basketball. You can't get that from drills. That's just like trying to teach somebody to shoot a floater. The best way to learn how to shoot a floater is to play pickup against a six nine quick jumping, triple jump dude who probably runs track who's going to throw it across the fence. If you come in there weak, you know, and not and not having a way to get get your shot off or not understanding how to play, you will learn then, okay, I got to get this thing off before he gets off the ground. That will, I, I guarantee you, that will benefit you more than running some floater drill over a broom or some fake hand where that hand really can't block your shot. That's how you learn how to shoot a floater. And it's the same thing about basketball, man. Basketball is about feel. It's about five on five. It's about playing with four other people. You know, and the the better you are at that, the more comfortable you are at that, you know, the better chance you have of being successful when you're playing an organized basketball. It's real simple. Yeah. Like you said, those principles definitely come as a player. They come from playing pickup. I came up with a quote, talent and structure doesn't beat discipline and principles. No so, question. So I say you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not disciplined to the game plan or if you don't, quote, buy in, uh, you'll get beat by the ones who are disciplined and do buy in even if they're not as talented as you are. So I, no yeah, that's my little quote. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And I'm going to add to that, too. I'm going to add to that, too. Once you, once you understand discipline, right, then you can accept freedom. Discipline promotes mm -hmm. freedom because once you understand how to play, then you can play within that framework. You know what I mean? And now you're unstoppable because you're reacting to what the defense does. And that's what people don't understand. Once I teach you how to play, 
then I can give you the freedom to go out and play because I now I, I, I know and I trust that you understand how to play the game. So if you can show me that you're disciplined, I can give you as much freedom as you want to go out and play the way that you want to play. No question. So go going to the recruiting side of things, can you scout discipline? Uh, you can, but it's different for me. I'm going to tell you how you scout discipline. It's not even watching them play on the AAU teams because the, A, the AAU teams may not be disciplined. All right. You got to dig deeper when it comes to recruiting. Like you got to literally like have conversations with them so that you develop a relationship so that you actually know how they move out, outside the basketball court. I'm very big on that. You know, like I'll give you a prime example. If I'm talking to a kid on the phone and we're just talking, you know, and the mom says, Jenny, come take out the trash right now. And she says, hold on, mom, I'll do it when I get off the phone. Ah, it's a red flag. Hmm. Red flag. Because it's not like because you're on the phone, you can't go out and take the trash out right when she says to do it. You know, so little things like that that I don't think players really think matters or, or, or pay attention to, I do. Because if you're disciplined off the court, then you're probably disciplined on the court. If you're talking to a kid and, and – you get the idea that, you know, every day at 8 o'clock a.m. during this COVID-19 situation that we're all dealing with, you know, she's going out in the driveway and working on the ball handling for 20 minutes. And then after lunch, she's working on her form shooting or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. I can tell you that's probably a disciplined kid because there's nobody making her do it, you know. So you have to figure out how to um, get involved in those type of conversations just so you can see because a disciplined person off the court is usually a disciplined person on the court. So when we talk pressure, our philosophies seem to align pretty well. And when it comes to pressure, I think it's essential that you have a disciplined personnel. Um, if players aren't disciplined, there's going to be some difficulty getting them to play the way we want to play for 40 minutes. So would it be better to recruit with discipline as your number one priority rather than talent? No question. You know, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all, you know, especially when you start talking about pressure you know when you start talking about pressure you know I get a little different you know I love talking about about pressure you know but absolutely man and, and the, the biggest misconception that most people have is you know when you're playing you know pressure basketball or quote-unquote up-tempo you're undisciplined and to me it's harder to play that way you have to be disciplined to play that way the easiest thing in the world to do is to come down and play 45 feet and do what the coach tells you to do. That's not discipline. That's memorization. You know, when you're disciplined, you know, you have to do what you may not want to do, but you know, it's what's best for the team and, and what's best for your team to be successful at that moment. Meaning that I can't go for this still right now, because if I miss it, it's going to put my teammates in a predicament. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to close up this trap without filing, even though I think I can get it. That's discipline. You know, I'm going to sprint back because I know if I sprint back, you know, it's going to be a situation where I'm not giving the other team an advantage, you know, in transition and I may get a back tip. That's discipline, you know. So I don't think a lot of players or a lot of coaches even really understand what true discipline really is. To me, it's much harder to play that way and be disciplined than it is the other way. No doubt.
that may not be what you do, but that's what we do. So we, we got to do it if you want to be a part of this team. Uh, and, it, and it has to be non-negotiable. And that's another thing, too. This is what we do. It has to be your identity. You know, it can't be just the flavor of the month or, you know, what I call fake bullies, which is what most teams do. They only press you when they know they can get a steal or if they're down 12 with two minutes left. Those are fake bullies. No, this is what we do because this is what we believe in and this is our identity, period. This is what we do. If you beat us, cool, but you're going to have to beat us this way every time you see us. Totally different mentality. Right. Yeah, so you, you like talking pressure. I like talking pressure. Let's talk pressure. Um, no, I love talking pressure. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, like we said, if you're going to press for 40 minutes, you got to have some dogs. Uh, what does that dog mentality look like to you, and how can a player use that to increase their uh, minutes per game? Well, well, actually, minutes per game is a little tricky because if you're playing the way I want you to play, you can't play that way for 40 minutes. It's impossible. So one of the most important traits you got to have to be able to play that way is you have to be unselfish because you're not playing 40 minutes. If you're playing 40 minutes, you're being selfish and you're probably giving something up in terms of effort. So I can't, I don't have a set number that you should be able to play if you're going to play this way, but I know full well you can't play 40 minutes straight at the effort I want you to. So the team has to be more important than the individual for you to play this way. And it's not for everybody, you know. And let's talk about the word dog, too. Because I think that, that, that it's, it's, it's almost like a, a catchphrase now. Everybody says, you know, she, he's a dog or she's a dog. What does that really mean? You know, what does a dog really mean? And I don't think people really truly understand what that means because I've heard people classify uh, certain players as dogs. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I know, yeah, she may, he or she may be a dog, but she's probably, that, he or she's a chihuahua. You know, I need a rockwaller. I need a pit bull, you know. That's a, that's a sheep dog over there, you know. That's not a guard dog, you know. That's a pet. Do you want a pet? So when you say you want a dog, what does that really and truly mean? I think people use that word loosely. For me, a dog, the dog that I'm talking about, is one without a leash. One without a leash, because the truly disciplined dogs that are killers, they're not on leashes. They know who their who their who their master is. They know when it's time to protect the porch. They know when there is an intruder outside, and then they attack, and it's relentless. It's a different type of mentality, you know. A lot of dogs bark, but if you attack them, they run. <laughs> the dogs that don't bark are the ones you should be afraid of especially the ones that are not on the leash and they're just sitting there and they're just looking at you. Those are the ones I want. It's a different mentality, bro. Different mentality. So I hear, oh yeah, he's a dog or she's a dog. I'm like, you don't even know what a dog is. Scoring 30 points is not a dog because if I throw Patrick Beverly on that 30 point score, who is afraid of a contact, they're not getting 30, not a dog. If you're a dog, you get 30, no matter what, whether it's 18 points from the free throw line or if you're playing off me, I'm going to knock down eight or nine threes. Or if you're small, I'm going to take you in the, in, in the post. Or defensively, I'm not letting you get nothing. And if you get 13, if you get 30, it's going to be the hardest 13 or 30 you ever got in your life. That's a dog. And every time you see me, you're like, oh, my God, I got to face this guy, this girl again. That's a dog. That's a different mentality, bro. I need about 10 or 12 of them. 
<laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. Because, uh, you know, if one gets subbed out, then another one's coming in, and this guy thinks he's not getting a break, you know? Frothing at the mouth, bro. Frothing yeah. at the mouth, you know? And the one that's subbing out is excited because they know what their teammate is about to go do. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, my God, I'm coming out of the game, head down, not slapping a teammate's hand. Uh-uh. A dog is like, your turn. And when you get tired, let me know. I'll be right back at them. It's a different mentality, bro. Right. If you got guys that are, are guys or girls that are willing to do that for 40 minutes, your whole team, that does something to the opponent mentally. You know, it's like you said, oh, crap, I got to deal with this guy again. Or, you know, uh, and that takes away from the, the ability to be able to score, be able to be a good teammate. It lowers the morale of the team. And I think that takes a big toll on whether you win or lose. Bro, I'm going to go a step further. Two days before you're about to play them, it distorts their whole preparation because all they're worried about is the pressure. They're putting in another press offense. They're putting in an offense to try to get open in the half court. They're barking at their kids about, you know, how to attack traps. You're taking them away from what they would generally do, you know, in a practice. That gives you a, a competitive advantage because no one plays like that. Not really and truly. Everyone presses when they're down 12 with two minutes left, but if you're down 30 with two minutes left and you're still pressing, everybody else saying, why is he pressing? Take it off, take it off. Because this is what we do. This is what we do. Every time you see me, you got to beat me like this. And I guarantee you, once you get the right personnel around you, no one wants to be pressed, bro. No one wants pressure. Some people can deal with it, but that doesn't mean they don't want to. And then they have to prepare for it because no one's playing that way. That's tough to deal with, bro, because what happens is – you're taking everything out of the coach's hands and you're putting everything in the player's hands because now you have to make basketball decisions for 40 minutes. I'm not allowing you to run that play. You can't run that set. You have to make basketball plays for 40 minutes under duress. If you can do it, you beat me. God bless. We'll see you next time. But I guarantee you they would prefer not to prepare against that. No question. So, yeah, when they're preparing for you, they obviously have to have a changing game plan. But when you're preparing for opponents, you're, gonna, you're planning on playing the same way with even a little junk defense thrown in there, right? Some, uh, some amoeba, maybe some buzz. Um, what, what's your attraction to the hybrid defenses? Well, it's funny you say that because if you think about it on the strong side, Right. Whether you plan, you may overplay, you may play gap, you know, pack or whatever you may call it. But you plan a certain way on the strong side. But on the weak side, you're basically in help regardless. It don't matter whether you're in man or zone, you're in help. You probably got somebody in the middle of the lane. You know, you're not, you know, I don't know too many coaches who teach players to hug on the weak side. So you're in some type of zone on the weak side, some type of man to man on the strong side. So really and truly, when you think about basketball, everybody's in a hybrid, you know. My thing is, I'm just not afraid to call it that. I'm never going to be in an all-man or an all-zone. So when you're preparing to play against me, you can't say, well, I'm going to run my man or my zone, which is, which is what most coaches do, which is what allowed me to come up with my philosophy because I'm like, you know what? Everybody has a man offense or a zone offense. Well, if everything you play is hybrid, are they going to come up with another offense in two days? You know, so it kind of goes to my whole philosophy of, um, of pressure, you know. Basically, what I'm trying to do is force you to make basketball plays for 40 minutes. So it makes sense to me. 
your offense to me should marry your defense. So if I'm making you make basketball plays in the full court, I'm going to figure out a way to make you make basketball plays in the half court. And for me, that's how I came up with, you know, running always in hybrid defense. I will never be in an all man. I will never be in an all zone. So you got to figure out what you're going to do. And if you can make enough basketball plays to beat me, then salute. You're probably going to beat me anyways. And then we'll see you next time. And I'll come up with something else. They say develop your philosophy based on what you didn't like as a player. Did Absolutely. You see, did you see hybrid defenses when you played? Never. And you know what? And that's kind of what ironically would help me develop my philosophy because I was like, God, if I was a player and I saw this and my coach is telling me to run, you know, this high four offensive set or, you know, whatever, you know, this floppy action or whatever, what would I do if when I caught it, they trapped me, you know, and I wasn't expecting it. What would I do? That's how I came up with the whole idea of concepts and, and how I, you know, how I came up with my offensive uh, philosophy about concepts and not necessarily uh, a system, but more of a philosophy of how we're going to play. Because I think it's tough, you know, for most, most coaches to do and most players to implement because most coaches, like I said before, and I hate to say it like this, but they're all cookie cutter. They got a man's offense. They got his own offense. You have to run in a certain way. If not, you're going to get in trouble. But I'm banking on that. I'm going to make you make basketball plays. What I'm trying to do is make your coach be pissed off at you for doing something that you didn't tell him to do, but you're telling him or her, I didn't have no choice. That's where my philosophy comes from. I don't know any other coaches that have that kind of mentality. Um, so I think in a way you're changing the game. And once you get the opportunity to be a head coach, nobody's going to know what to do with you because – they haven't seen any of this stuff before. And if they have, it's not consistent. It's not every game. And it's not with 40 minutes of pressure. Bro, uh, look, you know me, bro. They're not going to want to see me. You know? <laughs> I know that may sound, you know, I don't mean it in an arrogant way, but the game, I'm so pissed off at the game right now. It's so boring. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, why would y'all think that anybody would want to come watch this? Who want to come watch a game 55 to 54? on a Sunday at two o'clock. I'm not coming to watch that. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, if I got an opportunity to go to a movie, I'm not a movie guy, I'm more of a documentary guy, but I'd rather watch an hour documentary to come watch a game 55 to 54. Teams are playing 45 feet, unless one's down, you know, uh, 12, like I said before, with two minutes left, then they'll fake press and then they'll play a little zone if they can guard them. And if they can, they'll play man to man. That's boring, bro. Let's, let, let's do something different, you know? So. That's my thing, man. Like I said before, I don't know if it'll be successful, but I know what won't work, and I know what is boring. And I'm not – and basketball should be a form of entertainment as well, you know, as, as players should be – they should be happy to come to the gym. They should enjoy playing. And I think the way that I see the game, because I see it and I approach it from a player's perspective, you know, because I was a player, you know, I think it's fun. You know, I really do. I think it's fun. And it's not for everybody. I get that, you know. But I do think it's fun. I think it's different. And I think if and when given the opportunity, you know, I think people will see that and they'll gravitate towards it. Yeah, so when given the opportunity, the way you run practices and with your philosophy aligning uh, with mine, are your practices going to be more defensively heavy or offensively heavy, a little mixture of both, you know, separate, separated between days? What, what's, what's that going to look like? Neither. I don't believe in offense. I don't believe in defense. I believe in – one side of the ball, you have it. The other side of the ball, you don't. 
I think it should be more synergistic. And I think there should be a lot of five-on-five five play in practice. You know, I think drills are important, but to me, they're excessive. I think players need to play. They don't play enough, you know. And I'm a whole part, whole type of guy. So I'm going to put everything in probably the first day, and then I'll break it down based on what we need to work on. But I'm a firm believer in a whole part, whole, man. You know, so that's how I look at it. So going off that, you know, we're here to practice. We're D1 athletes. I feel like practices should be more focused on getting reps and preparing for game rather than, you know, we should be teaching all this kind of footwork, you know, and this and that. Where's the line between a good amount of instruction and a good amount of reps? I don't know where the line is. You know, I can just give you, you know, my thoughts on it. And I think it depends on your team. You know, if you have a team that, that obviously their footwork isn't very good, then you need to spend some time on it. How much, you know, I don't know. But I think also, if you don't want to spend a lot of time on that, then you, you, you better spend a hell of a lot of time on recruiting, you know, from the standpoint of making sure they have some of that already in place so that you don't have to teach it, you know. But if they don't have it and it's important that they have it, then I think you've got to spend some time on it. How much? I'm not really sure, you know. But I do think, you know, it depends on, like I said before, the IQ and the skill level of your respective team. Personally, like I said before, I think all I think fundamentals are very important, you know, and I'll, I'll just put it out there. My whole thing is playing fundamentally fast. I'm all about footwork. I'm all about, you know, faking a pass to make a pass. I'm all about jumping to the ball. That's my deal. You know, I just want to do it at a quick pace, you know. So if I got to back up and spend some time on that, you know, to increase my pace later on, then I'll do that. You know, I'll make that adjustment. But I think it varies team by team. So would you rather have the instruction and the focus on, you know, discussion through individual workouts outside of practice and then just focus in on practice and getting reps? Would you say that would be more beneficial? When you say reps, what do you mean? Like you say, going fast, constant work, just like it's a, a, a big old group workout. Absolutely. I'm more five on five oriented, no question, you know. I think individual reps, for the most part, should happen outside of practice. I'm not trying to be there that long, you know. I don't have a certain time limit, but I think usually if you're going as hard as I need you to, need you to go, it's going to be hard for you to go over probably about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. I think to me, that's good enough. If, if To me, you should spend two times more uh, planning your practice than actually being at practice. And I'm a big believer in that. I think most practices are inefficient anyways, you know, and I took – you know, each 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 month, well, each May, you know, and I think we kind of talked about this before. I'll take, you know, a part of basketball and I'll study it for a month. So two years ago, I studied practices. You know, I went and I looked at, you know, just different practices, high school, college, pro. And, and, and what I concluded was that there are a lot of inefficient practices. There are a lot of fillers in practice. Uh, we got to do a uh, three-man weave, not because it's effective, but because we don't know what else to do. You know, at what point in the game would you pass the ball and then go behind the person you pass? Not too, not too many times, unless it's a, you know, kind of a give and go situation where they call it get over in, in Europe where you'll pass it, get it, maybe set a ball screen. But in the full court, you're not going to pass the ball, you know, and then go behind a person. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying, like, explain to me why you're doing that. People have done it for years, so nobody questions it. You know, it's kind of like the reverse mic. And, you know, that's the worst drill. And I hate that drill. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate it. I've never seen in a game where somebody has done the reverse micing the way you do it in practice. It's like a waste of time. But, you know, everybody's done it. 
you know, and I think it, I don't even know how it, how it originated. The mic, it makes a lot of sense, you know, a lot of reps working on your right hand, left hand. Oh, I think somebody got bored and said, let's just try to reverse mic it off the opposite leg. Never really see it, bro. So to me, that's a waste of time. Three man weave, waste of time. So I'm not doing those drills in my practice because to me, it's a waste of time. And that's what I mean by efficient practices. Every single thing we do, there's going to be a reason why, and it's going to make sense. And if you ask me why, I will be able to tell you. And it won't be a filler because uh, we need to figure out how we can get up to two hours. So let's just get some shots up. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. No, 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 no. I don't think uh, five on five is played enough. And that's why I don't think most players really have a feel for the game, you know. Especially, you know, I've been coaching women's basketball for 18 years. You know, and I'm going to be honest with you. You know, you can tell the ones who played when they were younger because they have a different feel for the game. It's totally different. You can you can, you can can watch them and tell. And you can tell the ones that are robots who've had a trainer, you know, for eight or nine years because they play like they're playing against cones. They're doing step backs, and there's no reason to do a step back. They're step backing and then passing it. Like, what, why, why are you doing that? You know what I mean? But they're just mimicking what they saw on YouTube or what their trainer told them to do. But because they haven't played enough five-on-five, they don't know when to use the drills, you know, that they've learned or, or that they've mastered. So that's my opinion. So with that being said, would you ever have a practice where you just ran like a five on five pickup game for two hours? Absolutely. We're going to play as much five on five as possible. Mm -hmm. I need to see if you can play and you'd be surprised. You know, I think a lot of coaches don't give players credit. You know, they just assume they don't know certain things. Well, they don't know certain things because they haven't been in those situations because, you know, you, you stop them from, from being in those situations. So if you get overplayed enough on the wing, eventually you're going to cut back door. So now you don't have to waste 15 minutes turning that into a drill. You just stop the play, emphasize why that's important, explain why that's important, and then keep moving. And that player will never forget it because they figured it out on their own. I don't think we give players enough credit because most coaches are control freaks anyways.